The Pokes Report podcast is sponsored by Stillwater Barber Company, located at 609 South Main Street, right here in Stillwater. Randall and Joe, they're serving up the best haircuts in town. They do regular haircuts, skin and razor fades, all of which include a hot towel with just a little bit of foam and a safety razor to trim everything up and make it look clean and fresh. They also have the best beard care and trims in town, all of which include a wonderful blend of beard balm, beard oil, and just a little bit of steam. And as always, you can see Blue Randall's dog roaming around the shop. So check them out at stillwaterbarber.co to book an appointment today, or you can give them a call at 405-269-8590. Welcome into the Pokes Report Podcast. Zach Lancaster here alongside Brian Murphy. We're a little more than a week away from Oklahoma State's season opener. Just barely. Uh, you know, it's one of those things, and... Um, it's something when you talk about, man, football season's over. Uh, it, it's it's you're a little sad, but it's like okay, I get to take a break. You know, I get to I get to relax. You know, just relax a little bit, catch my breath, get ready for basketball season. To you know, like, I mean, basketball season's you're already there, but you get to you know you're fully into basketball conference and basketball, and that's all you that point, all you yeah. got. But you get to you get to breathe a little bit, and then after like three or four weeks, you're thinking like, man, I wish football season was still here. <laughs> I, why can't we have football? Where's football? Well, it seems like it's it's months and months and months and months and months and months, and you're waiting and you're waiting. Well, guess what? We're nearly there. Looking forward to it. I can't wait. Oklahoma State, September first, Central Michigan. Six o'clock kick. Uh, I know there's some some demons that are floating around Central Michigan, but war, you know, fear not, worry not. It's not a Matt crew calling the game. All right, we got Big Twelve officials, we got Power Five officials calling this game. So well, how about that? Probably going to have an open rule book somewhere in that facility. So don't worry. Uh, joining us now on the Poke Sport Podcast is former Oklahoma State football player, current. Uh, Cowboy Radio Network member Dion Amati. I know you're just uh, chomping at the bit to get football season here, but how you doing, Dion? Man, I'm good. I'm I'm, I'm like you guys and and most most of the Oklahoma State fan base. I just can't wait for the season to actually kick off. I remember when I was playing, I don't remember being like this excited or ready for a football season. And I think back about it and it's just like, because I always had something to do. I was Mm -hmm. always pretty much training and working out and getting ready for the upcoming season. So that hunger, that little yearn for football wasn't as high as it is now where I don't get to participate and I don't have football year round. I mean, other than watching some tape here and there just to, you know, scratch that itch. I mean, I don't, I don't get it year round like I used to. So I'm, I'm excited, man. I'm ready to go. I don't want to put you on the spot because I know you love your job. Um, but does, does calling high school football, does covering high school football kind of get you – being somewhere this Friday covering a game, does that get you as amped as, say, covering Oklahoma State game, or is is are, are those different levels? Oh, I, I have no problem answering that. Then my employer should know this. No, it, it, <laughs> it doesn't. I mean, here's the thing: I love football in the game, and going to see those high school kids, I it brings me back to my high school days, and and going to see those guys being like just looking. I mean, I remember driving to work today, and some kid was waiting on the bus with his dad and they were throwing the football around and that brought just good feelings Mm -hmm. to me like every level of football like brings a certain type of feeling back for me but walking into Boone Pickens Stadium you got that that brings the ultimate joy as far as football 
you know, back in my life. That one, you know, that's the cherry on top. That one is the, you know, the grand pooba, if you might say. <laughs> but but high school football still, it, it definitely makes me, you know, I I the first I'll have it, you know, coming up here soon. I walk on the field for the first time and I'll, you know, grab that microphone and just that feeling and seeing the kids getting ready for their first game and remember how I used to has to feel about that. It, it, it brings a great joy, but Oklahoma State is still number one. Dion, what was your what was your high school pregame routine, and and how did that change in college, or or did it? Did you have you know did you walk the full length of the field? Did you do anything special pregame that uh, either got the got the butterflies really flying, or or kind of calmed them? It's funny that you asked that because I'm I was a very much a superstitious player <laughs> and so and in high school i remember the thing that was very different from high school and college was the fact that i played with my older brother and so he was able to show me the ropes and show me what varsity football was like and and kind of he was there beside me so i would could, could calm my nerves and you know rely on him and lean on him and he would before every game walk the the length of the field and walk it back. And he would tell me, he's like, if I do that, it, the field looks shorter. And when I'm running touchdowns and I'm running down the sideline, it the field just feels shorter and I don't get as tired. And I was like, okay. So when I started playing, I walked like defense, you know, offense, you play north to south. Well, defense, we play, you know, east to west. We're playing vertically, you know, horizontally down the field. So I would just walk from one sideline to the next because that's where I'm running. So that was my kind of like pregame thing and, you know, chatting with him and then walking the sideline to sideline and making sure that I was going to be able to cover from one side to the other and not be able to get tired, just a little superstitious thing. And then also we had like, my, I, I don't know if you guys know, but my background is I, I'm Nigerian. And so the night before the game, me and we would eat, you know, this, our favorite, Niger, one of our favorite Nigerian dishes, fufu. And, and have that meal in their high-end protein. And so we would be ready for the for the next game. And because my mom was with me at Oklahoma State, that definitely had to change a little bit night before the game. Wasn't able to have that pregame meal. But those are the kind of the things that I remember that was pretty much drastically different. My brother not being there and my mom not being there to cook for me. <laughs> what? All right, you got to walk us through what is fufu. Okay, uh, fufu is uh, it's kind of to, to – to explain it for people who, you know, are from the American culture, it's like mashed potatoes, mm -hmm. but very thick. And you eat it with your hands and you, you dip it into a soup. There's the very a lot of different variations of soups out there, Nigerian dishes. So you dip it into a soup and there's a lot of meat that's inside the soup and vegetables and, and seasonings. And you dip it in there and you eat it with your hands. And I'm telling you, if you if, if you haven't had it, you go find some kind of Nigerian. There's there's a lot there's a lot of us out there and you know if you're become friends with him or her and maybe they'll be, introduce you to Fufu because it's a it's a delicious dish. Yeah, well, it sounds really good. Well good good news for me because I'm friends with Dion. So I can, <laughs> exactly. so I can get me some fufu. I'm looking forward to it. Um, next, next, next time my mom comes down, I'll invite you over, Zach. That sounds great. You let me, you let me know, and I'll be there. Whoa, 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 whoa! There's two <laughs> seats at this table in there. Hold on. Hey, the more the the more the merrier. Yes. The more the merrier. You're invited too. <laughs> uh, before we dive into Oklahoma State, I do. I would. How old? How old? Uh, what's the age difference between you and your brother? How old's your brother? 
I was my brother's only a year older than me. So we were like a, a, a grade apart. So he was born in 90, but he was one of those 90 kids that was born in like October. You mm -hmm. know how those kids are like the oldest ones. So, and I was born in January 92. So we're, we're really close in age. And so we've, we've been always been like a grade apart to our whole existence. So you talk about, you know, you, you kind of looked up to him and, and he walked the field. So you walked the field for you when you were in high school, what was, what was the, the, the turning point for you? Cause you know, you know, Brian asked about rituals and, and every high school kid, you know, they, whether they listen to the same album, you know, whether they eat the same meal before the game or whether they, they have whatever it is, when did it become, okay, well, I'm just, I'm here to play football. I'm having fun. I'm, it's something to do. It's something to get my energy out. And it's okay. Now, you know what? I've got a, I've got a legitimate chance to play at the next level. So I, I guess the question is like, when did you take those uh, superstitions seriously? When was like, okay, I'm no longer just here. I'm, I'm in it for good. Oh, I mean, you know, playing Texas high school football and growing up in the state of Texas, you, we take seri football serious from the very beginning. And I think I might have taken it serious a little earlier just for the sheer fact that because of my older brother and because of how serious he took it. So I remember him, you know, getting like he was serious about it. I want to say in the eighth grade, mm -hmm. eighth or seventh, seventh or eighth grade. And I remember, you know, just going with him everywhere, everywhere. And like when he got to high school in ninth grade, he was already this, you know, big deal in, in the city of Garland and, and Rowlett. And everybody knew about Dexter. Everybody knew about the Amadis because of because of him and, and how serious he took the game. And I remember going with him to the high school when I was in eighth grade and following him as he worked out as he's trained in the off season and him not letting me lift weights because he was afraid it was going to stunt my growth in the eighth grade and so therefore i would only get to do the running drills with him and he also needed like somebody to you know at that point he was playing safety at the at the high school level and playing running back so he needed somebody to run routes and so he would bring bring me along so i took football very seriously at a very young age just because that's what it was like in our household i also had a little brother and you know man <laughs> the guy that, that kid had he was the most serious uh, he because he was the youngest one and he didn't want to be looked upon as the the little brother or anything he was a very serious dude and still is to this day so he took it even seriously before you know at the same time we did but just at a younger age so football's always been a very serious thing for me i only i probably only realized that it was like just a game and something to have fun with you know after i stopped playing mm -hmm. unfortunately so so yeah I've, I've always you know taken that approach to the game and and still take that approach to it with my broadcasting career but in just in a different sense now i'm i enjoy seeing the younger guys have fun with the game something that i probably wish i i really do wish i would have taken more advantage of so talking about how seriously you took it, Texas high school football, I should have known that answer, but uh, with the news about Gary Gaines coming out on uh, on Sunday, how many times did you watch Friday Night Lights growing up? <laughs> you have no idea, Zach. No idea. Like, I'm telling you, when that movie came out, I went to go watch it with my Little League football team, and then I remember going to go watch it with my brothers, and then I remember uh, 
then my older brother read the book after mm-hmm. the movie came out and then the book was just hanging around the house so i read the book and then you know every time it it's one of those movies that every time it just comes on on tv i have to stop and watch it and i mean we me and my brothers quote lines from the movie man like the booby miles ran at the end when his uncle and him are in the car mm. we said we was gonna go to the league we said we was gonna go to we like quote all the quotables oh man that movie was definitely a big part of my childhood <laughs> uh dion i think i know the answer that was, to yeah. this what's what's better the friday night lights movie i was going movie or show or tv show yeah man nobody's ever asked me that and and can can i preface this with like tv show first two seasons because the last (laughs) ones we drug it on a little long so let's go the meat of the uh, of the tv show but but here's the thing though the the final seasons with michael b jordan they Mm -hmm. were just as like i'm like i forgot he was in the yeah man when they went to uh I, i i'm trying to really think right now because i'm into the whole drama of television like it's tell i i know tv's not real so let's just make it as dramatic and interesting as we can and so that's what friday night lights kind of did when michael b jordan kind of entered the into that realm into that into that world so i don't know man because the movie is just so iconic but the TV show, I, I I think I went through that thing like three times oh, while yeah. I was at Oklahoma State and just watching that on like Netflix and stuff. So, man, I, I you're going to need give me a little bit more time because both of them <laughs> well, were pretty good in different stages. And they're, and they're, and they're, and they're kind of so two different. Time. They're kind of two different. Um, two different things there. You know, the Friday Night the Lights. Show, the, you listen to the show yesterday? No, I didn't. So that's what we talked about. Oh, really? Yeah, it was because it was. You know, what's better, the movie or the show? Oh, and, wow. I, and I look at it, and I think the movie I think encapsulates Texas high school football and the yeah. feeling around high school football and the 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 drama and the live or die with your high school football team in the state of Texas. But I think the show is is better overall because you get more characters, you expound on the char- like Tim Riggins, Texas Forever, oh, you yeah. know, clear eyes, yeah. full heart. I mean, it's the emotions around the show. I think I think I like the show better. But when I'm thinking football and I'm thinking emotion and I'm yep. thinking, you know, I think the movie really encapsulates all. Show of it. So caught, it's two different. Yeah, the feelings. TV show caught the off the fi- a lot of the off the field stuff and things you got to go through in exactly. small small town, mm-hmm. like you know, when Texas uh, football and like when Jesse Plemons killed that dude with that crowbar well you I mean, don't get that in the movie <laughs> you do. but you also don't get in, in in the tv show when booby miles comes up to the to the third string running back mm-hmm. and he says you know why you ain't got no girl because you wearing those white adidas it's all about the black nikes <laughs> man that part is like everybody was rocking black nikes yep. after that like that thing was a cultural phenomenon so like, is that is that did. is that justin williams does is that why oklahoma state where they rock the black nikes every year I, I there's a there's a story behind that before kind of i know this uh, i know that story yeah, the reason why Oklahoma State was strictly wearing I remember I remember the year Justin Williams and them started letting the players wear white shoes and I was like, Man, Justin, you didn't you guys didn't let that let us do that. That's not <laughs> fair. And, but yeah, I, I wonder if that is the case that he kinda got that from there. But I I don't think that's the 
the one that those you got to talk to Justin about that. So there's a, there's a true story behind. So that. what I've heard from Robert with with black with black shoes, black Nikes, you know, black cleats, black shoes, whatever it is on the black doesn't really show dirt on the sidelines. It, they're you know it's just like a clean look. But if you're like playing a if you're playing a muddy game or a rainy game or whatever, and you're wearing white, it, they get all dirty and they get brown. And so that's hmm. that's what Robert told me. I I could be wrong. You know that, that might not be it. He may have just been telling me that to kind of. You know, go away. Shut up. Go away. Here's here because it, it, it looks better. But uh, yeah, no, I, I I will say though, like when I, I got older now, I felt really bad for the for the third string running back that had to color his white shoes in because growing up we didn't have a lot of money. Now I know like Adidas, so that's a it's a good brand, but like we didn't have a lot of money, so like what I got was what I got, and so like he felt pressure. He's like, man, I don't have what they have. I got to color these shoes in, man. I can't. Uh, it broke my heart. And then of course, you know, but here's the, here's, yeah. Here's the here's the thing about that. Those are team issued shoes. Those are school mm-hmm. issued. You know, the reason the third string running back didn't have those is because you know in Texas high school football, if you're the third string, you're on you're playing on JV, and the the equipment manager is not giving team issued shoes to the JV running back. He's giving the team issued shoes to the starting running back mm-hmm. and the second string guy who's going to play on Friday. So the fact of the matter is, is he, we knew what was going on because. Booby was getting the new stuff out of the fresh out the box. Third string running back, uh, the famous Jet Jackson. I can't remember what he's what his name is. Who has like recently passed away. So, uh, God rest the dead. But he he was not getting <laughs> that actor that played that part. He was not getting the team issued nice Nike shoes. <laughs> you uh, got one last one last thing here on the Texas high school football and and Friday night lights before we move on. How how did you after that movie came? How did you view Odessa and what was your, what was your thoughts on Dallas Carter? Because I think everyone's minds changed when the thirty for thirty came out, which was iconic. Oh yeah. But how yeah. did how did yeah. you how did you view uh, Dallas Carter? I mean, I know you knew about Dallas Carter, but how did you how did you view Dallas Carter after that movie came out? And did you want did you want the Permian P? Did you want to wear Rock Odessa stuff? No, I didn't want to. <laughs> but I mean, they they were what because all these high schools in Texas, like I was the like the fourth grader staying up late to watch, you know, Texas high school sports special on like FS1 and Channel 8 and, and ABC Fox. Like they all had their little high school shows late at night after the 10 o'clock news. And I would stay up late to watch all the games and see all the players who got to be on TV and watch their highlights and stuff. So as after that movie, you would see Odessa Permian and, and them. You'd be like, oh, they're the school from the, te- the the movie. They're the school from the show, you know. But Dallas Carter was infamous because they were always good and they were always one of the schools on the highlights and everything. I remember them wearing the practice jerseys during the regular season and not getting to wear the real game jerseys until you made the playoffs. I remember that all. All that tradition and pomp and circumstance and stuff like that. So I always thought highly of Dar- Dallas Carter. Odessa Permian was just a school that used to be good. Yeah, so, I was going to say they're not they're, they're not there no more. I uh, a good buddy of mine that used to he he covered OSU as a student when I first started. Uh, his first job out of OSU was covering uh, was covering the uh, the Permian Basin was was wow. out in there in the middle of nowhere covering Odessa and he was like it, it is nothing like. The movie, and I was yeah, like, "Why, why is that?" And he's like, "Cause they're not any good. They're not good anymore." That oil money dried up pretty quickly. I oh guess. no doubt. <laughs> uh, so, first logical question outside of that is, you know, how how did OSU come into the mix? How did you how did you wind up from uh, from Texas high school football playing at Oklahoma State? 
Well, Zach, you always remember your first girl. You always remember your first love. And you always remember the first school that gave you that big D1 offer. And luckily enough for me, it was Oklahoma State. I remember uh, Jason Jones, Coach Jones, coming up to my school. And he had been in communication with me. I had been getting, you know, talked to after my junior year and uh, and got getting talked to with a number of schools like SMU and Rice and TCU and stuff but OSU was the first one to come out to watch me practice I remember he was going to come to my track practice and luckily enough for me he was able to come early enough to come to my you know fourth period which in in in, in Texas uh and especially in my school your fourth period is the longest period that's the time where everybody goes to lunch so they make it the longest class and 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 that's where you know there's four periods and for us they make that when you're on varsity football or when you're a sophomore going into you know jade football they make your fourth period your football class so that you can practice during school and because of that, uh, Coach Jones was able to come to a fourth period, watch me practice. We were doing spring football and everything, and we were doing one-on-ones and a bunch of drills and stuff like that. Everybody, did, as soon as Oklahoma State pulled up, as soon as Coach Jones pulled up, everybody knew he was there and he was looking for me. I remember all the wide receivers wanting to go against me that day to show the coach <laughs> that they could do, so they could they could play too. I remember being pretty tired that day running one-on-one. <laughs> But uh, after we went to team period and then Coach Jones pulls me aside and lets me know he's going to he's going to offer me and the, the word got around real quickly, really quickly at, at football. I remember me and my friend, best friend hugging because it was my first offer. My brother, you got to remember, it was my junior year. So my older brother, who was still a senior and all his friends were still there, but had already finished from football. They were no longer playing next year. So they were just you know, you know, in, in the lunchroom. And by the time I had got to the lunchroom for, for, for our turn to eat lunch after practice, it already reached my brother that Dion got an offer from Oklahoma State. I remember him coming up and hugging me in the middle of the lunchroom and everybody whispering, Dion got offered, Dion got offered, Dion got offered. So I'll never, that, that feeling stayed with me. Although I got other offers, that feeling stayed with me. And when coach jones said hey, hey what's what's the deal i remember my brother's recruiting process and him he got a bunch of offers as well but he waited to the last possible minute to try to commit and uh, all those slots got pulled up so i always told myself that if i got a school that i really liked and that liked me and that i was comfortable enough going there i was going to pull the trigger i wasn't going to wait around and let all the slots get pulled up at my position so I went ahead and made and committed, and it was it was history from there. So whenever you first came to Stillwater as a commit, you're in your mind. I'm going to sign there. Your first time to Stillwater. After that, what was that like for you to know that this is first initial thought? Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, that yeah. this is going to be home. This is it. Well, I mean, they. I got off the airport, and uh, one of the GAs came and picked us up, me, my mom, and my dad from the airport, and he took us straight to Eskimo Joe's. <laughs> he took us, us cheese fries make you strong. Yeah. It's because cheese fries make you strong, baby, and they make you not decommit. <laughs> and so <laughs> I had those cheese fries for the first time, and I was like, well, ladies and gentlemen, this looks like this is going to be home for four years. <laughs> so I had the cheese fries. 
it was a world-class treatment man i'm telling you they took up our took care of our parents we went to this nice hotel over there off hall of fame uh they and it was the big recruit weekend like right after the season they had like all the guys who pretty much commit all the guys who were you know close to not committing we were all there at the same time and all those guys were you know the guys that were in my freshman class and so we just all had a blast man i remember we went to some parties we hung out with the team they showed us around the new you know it was by that time the west end zone was like still brand new because you got to remember they revealed it the year previously so it was brand new they showed us the facilities and everything, and it was just so cool, man. And I was just, I was ready. I was done. I was done, man. I was like, this is this is me. This is where I'm going to spend the next four years of my life. So whenever you're getting recruited uh, to Division One, you're probably one of the the bigger, faster guys that's that's in your you know in your position group in in your district in Texas. And but whenever you come to Stillwater and you're going out to a party with guys who've been training with Rob Glass for three four years, are those the biggest individuals you'd ever seen in your life? Bro, you got to think about this. I walked on campus and I looked at Ori Lennon and I was mm-hmm. like, bro, he plays what position? That is a grown <laughs> man. Middle linebacker? Are you freaking kidding me? I looked at Rashetti Jones and I was like, and I remember Rashetti when he was like playing for Dallas Lincoln and I was like, goodness gracious, that dude. I looked at Justin Gent and I, you know, Jamie Blacknick and all those guys and I was like, holy crap, this is a different sport, my G. Like, what are we doing here? Mm. Uh, I remember there was like an altercation inside the locker room between, because when the locker room was brand new, we were not allowed to wear our cleats inside the locker room. You have to take it out inside. And I remember, and and this is like, I, you, you know you watched those 30 for 30s about the U and how they, the players ran the program. This was their school. This was their team. And I was like, huh, that, that's interesting. Okay. I was, you know, I was a leader on my high school team. I did stuff and I said something and people listened to that. But I remember when Ori Lemon said something, that was the law. And like the second day I was there, somebody like wanted to, I'm not going to name any names, but somebody wanted to walk inside that locker room with their cleats on because they were that tired from Coach Glass's drill in one of our workouts. And Ori Lemon said, no, bro, we don't do that here. We, we, we don't do that here. And then he's like, and the dude's like, come on, bro. No, I'm not doing that. And he's like, he was like, what, what, bro? Ori Lemon took off his cleats like he was supposed to, went to his locker, got his basketball shoes that we wear inside the gym and said, nah, bro, let's go. You don't want to listen to we, you, you, nah, you don't respect and listen one way or the other. They were about to throw hands in the locker room because somebody didn't take their shoes off and listen to the rules. I was like, what is going on here? The, the two biggest human beings I've ever seen in my life are about to fight. I was like, this is something else. Yeah, man, it was it was a different world, and I caught on real quick, or else there was going to be some trouble. I, yeah, I think that's I think that's probably one of the more important stories that that I've heard about Oklahoma State and the the quote unquote cowboy culture that Mike Gundy yeah. has instilled. Because not necessarily the fact that Ori Lemon was going to fight another teammate, but the fact that Ori Lemon was like, you know what, this is the what are you doing? This is the rules. We don't wear cleats yeah. in this locker room. You're going to respect these rules. It's not, you know, like you said, the you. We're not just running wild and doing whatever we want to do. It's Mike Gundy and his staff set a, a, a rule. We're not, we're not going to disobey that rule. We're going to follow that rule. And that stuff, you know, you don't, 
you hear about the cowboy culture and you hear about the players and and you know taking orders and following rules and and being you know model citizens and model students and model players and everything but you don't ever hear the the inside like when a when a leader actually takes over and says no we're that may be a simple rule you may not think anything of it but they don't want us to wear cleats in the locker room so we're not going to do it at all it's the little things that make the difference between being a a a winning team and a team that you is leading the league in holding penalties. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I've heard so many stories about cowboy cultured guys. I mean, I've heard stories about Brandon Pettigrew. I've heard stories about Zach Robinson. I've seen things from Kendall Hunter. Like I, the first time I ever heard Kendall Hunter speak was like, all the way up into like to like you got to remember we come in like June and I the first time I heard him speak was probably middle of middle of two you know fall camp in the middle of like August like I'd never heard him speak until then but when he spoke he people listened because he was a cowboy culture guy and when they what they say go that's how you do it that's the rules that's the way you follow it that you get along or you move along well I've heard uh, this is just I have sources I'm not going to reveal them but I've heard that that's how Dave Hunziker runs the Saturday crew is that he is ready to throw hands with anybody that is that no, what's it what's it like working with those guys on Saturday? Man, those guys are the biggest cowboy fanatics that and and man, if you want to know how a radio program and a, and a broadcast is supposed to be run, that's them. Like I was so grateful to be, you know, brought along by those individuals and they're they're more than, you know, just co-hosts and and they're like they're mentors to me i mean dave hunziker bring it letting me come when i was a uh fifth year you know had already had already finished playing and was just finishing up my degree letting him letting me come and intern and be in the radio beef was uh magnificent for me in my career robert allen having me on the radio show every friday when i was um, in my fifth year showing me how that side of things work and showing me how the sideline position works and and john holcomb being there and telling me telling me how this business goes and how to be respectful and and courteous and and you know never step on anybody's toes those guys really you know are the reason why i am in the position i am right now with the broadcasting career that i have and that i've been able to you know take advantage of so I owe everything to them, man. And it's and it's so fun hanging out with those guys because they have stories on top of stories on top of stories from the the years that they've been in Stillwater and just in Oklahoma in the state of Texas and everywhere they 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 broadcasted out. I mean, I rode back to I rode to the Big Twelve Championship game with John Holcomb and he his stories are mm-hmm. just phenomenal, man. So. I really enjoy calling the game with those guys and being in the radio booth with them and then them adding, you know, uh, Adam Hildebrand and, and me and Clint Shelf to the to the team. Now we call ourselves the JV broadcast crew. That's that's <laughs> the varsity and we're the JV, but just being with those guys every every football season is, is a joy. So you're not you're not getting the team issued shoes then? Trainers passing you oh, over? No. no, 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 no. We don't. We don't get the t- team issued polos. No, they they get the new ones every year, and we just we we just stick with what we got. Yeah, I and I, I'm with you on that. I there was a game 
it was 2017, so it was Mason and James. It was their their senior season, and I get a call. I, th- I want to say it was like Thursday night, so we're we're getting pretty close. You know, it was Thursday night, and Robert calls me. It's like 8:30. He's like, "Hey, um, are you what do you what are you doing Saturday morning before the game?" And I was like, "Well, it's an 11 a.m. kick, so nothing. You know, I'm I'm gonna." wake up and see if there's any breaking news and listen to y'all's injury report and put something up. And he's like, okay, well, you're not going to be doing that. And I was like, why? And he was like, um, so Dave has to call a non-conference basketball game Friday night. It's a seven o'clock tip. They're probably going to be out of the arena around nine 30. So I'm going to need you to skip the post game because you're going to drive Dave overnight to Ames, Iowa. <laughs> Kip Racy has rented a van and you're going to drive him overnight to Ames, Iowa. And I was like, yeah, man, absolutely. Whatever you want. Yeah, that's that's cool. And how am I getting home? And he was like, oh, we'll just – Chip uh, Kipple, he'll charter you, but he'll fly you back. You won't fly with the yeah. team, but you'll fly you'll fly back out of Dallas and then you'll you know fly into Stillwater. And I was like, yeah, cool. Uh, well, Dave has a really good friend of his, and he drove he – like, he's like, I slept all night or I slept all day long. I've got my tea here. I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. So me and Dave slept in the back of a van while <laughs> they drove us to Ames, Iowa. And we got to the team hotel like at like 6.45 in the morning, I think. Um, we got cleaned up, and then we got to the stadium at – about eight, eight fifteen, and for an eleven a.m. kick, and as soon, like I, I'm like trying to wander around. I'm trying to figure out something to do because we got three hours before kick. And the first thing Dave does is he he shows up, he goes to the media room, he gets a cup of coffee or the press box, he gets a cup of coffee, and then he goes and he sets in the press box and immediately pulls out his notes and starts going through rosters, starts going through his you know his position notes for Iowa State, starting to go through the depth chart, the coaching staff little tidbits. I mean, it, he was, he was, you know, rock solid from the moment we got to that stadium. And, you know, I got to set in the booth while they called the game and it was an experience. I mean, wow. I, and I've called high school football, you know, I'm not saying that it's at the, at the same level or anything, but like, you know, I've, I've been in a booth. I, I know how to call a game. I know what to look for. I know how to watch a football game. And I learned stuff that I, I mean, it was one of the coolest experiences. I mean, it was, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm, I, I understand it. I get it. Man, preparation is key with those guys, and they they're on point no matter what. I mean, that's what I've learned from them, and and it just goes to show you they're such good dudes that if you stay loyal, if you stay true, and you work hard, they'll give you an opportunity. And right there, that was your opportunity. You just had to take it. You could you could have easily said, "I can't do that, Robert. I can't do that. I can't drive." But you took advantage of that opportunity and what happened you were able to sit in the booth and learn from some of the best and that's something that I've been trying to take advantage of for seven years now yeah it was it was insane so I, I'm, I'm jealous of you I, I enjoy what I do I enjoy my job I enjoy my aspect of it but you you get to be with those guys week in and week out and I think that's I think that's really cool and you do a great job I'm not trying to not trying to brown nose or anything I mean you you're in my opinion, I think when Robert, it, when Robert's gone, when Robert's like, you know what, I'm I'm retired, I think I would know the next logical choice for sideline. Oh, no doubt, Dion, is is it hard for you to go from a from pregame where you're given opinion, you're given news, you're given notes to to then go into the game sitting between Dave and John and and kind of like having to be silent for for three hours? I mean, I know you get to talk with them between, but as far as on air. Did you, if I'm going to be truthful to you, it's 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 hard. But the fact that 
I just have to wait my time, you know, like literally timeouts come and they'll, we'll, we'll look at each other and we'll talk and we'll, yep. and even when, you know, timeouts come or breaks or they'll pod me up and I'll talk to Robert on the sideline during, during look, quick little breaks here and there and stuff like that. Like I love the fact and I really appreciate how much they incorporate me into the broadcast. I mean, not everything is going off air. It's more of just deciphering what's going on throughout mm -hmm. the game and doing my part to help the broadcast be as now my again, like I've hopefully one of these days, God willing, that I'll get my opportunity to be, you know, on the varsity and part of the crew big time. But until then, I just want to help this broadcast be the best that it can be and one of the best throughout the nation. Uh, Dion, I you know, appreciate your time. I've got a few more questions here for you. I know you got, uh, you got a lot of stuff that you got to get done today, but uh, I want to I take you back to the second week of July. All right, put your thinking cap on. Go back to the second week of July. Me and Robert, we're in the truck. We're driving down to Dallas for Big 12 Media Days, and Robert calls to talk about you know this and that and various stuff, and he, he regales us of a conversation that he heard in the weight room. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think, I think, I think I'm leaning towards yeah. what you're – I think I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, Jason Taylor is in the middle of a pretty intense workout, and Rashetti Jones is standing over there. And, and, and this group of guys, they look really good. You know, it's, a, it's an incredibly athletic team. It's a, there are some younger – so there's a lot of younger guys, but this day there were a lot of, a lot of seniors, a lot of redshirt juniors that were standing around and, and getting their work in. And Jason and uh, Rashetti had a conversation about who's the more athletic bunch. Today's group or guys from your time, guys from the early 2000s, mid 2000s, uh, 2010s, 2000s and 12s and stuff like that. So to put you on the spot, you know, I, I who's who's more athletic guys like Jason Taylor and and Malcolm Rodriguez or guys that won a Big 12 championship. <laughs> because I think that Man. was that was like the the turning point for me. It was like, oh, I think you made a pretty good point there. I yeah, and I just I I find it so hard to answer that question because again, I'm not privy to the information that I was then because I was actually on the team and did actually you know hang out with those guys on a regular basis, played basketball, played shop, you know, played pool, and and did all kinds of things with those guys that I don't actually get to see this. I mean, I saw the Instagram video of Spencer Sanders shooting threes the, the, the other week, and that looked pretty athletic to me. Well, okay, I mean, so I, I was I'm, so that was that was cut and pasted, basically, because they shot okay. for about 25 minutes, and, and he, he probably shot like 18%. <laughs> Oh, so hey, but you're a hundred. You're all, were, you always shoot a hundred percent on the highlight they were, reel. They were they were all not like Jason Taylor was. I, I think I, if I had to pick, I think JT probably won that. But it was yeah. you could tell that they chose football for a reason. <laughs> we, we we all we all do we all do <laughs> okay. So I mean, here's the thing, and you you look back on those guys like. Blackman and Jeremy Smith, Joseph Randall. I mean, Clint Shelf. You you'd be surprised. You look at him on a basketball court, and you'd be like, "Goodness gracious, that dude is an athlete." No wonder he got away from Texas Tech the way he did. I mean, and then Weeden and golf and baseball and stuff like that. So, but I'm in the mindset that the way things are now and the way human evolution is, 
I mean, let's just let's just put it out there. LeBron James is a better basketball player than Michael Jordan. There, I said it. I think if you took said, if I, you took LeBron, we had this we had that conversation yesterday. You could take LeBron now, maybe not mindset, but you could take LeBron, and if he if he came up the same time as Michael Jordan did, and was the same type of basketball like the same athlete. LeBron, there would be no. I don't think there would be an argument as to who would be the number one basketball player of all time. Mike, like you could take you could take Michael Jordan and put him in today's game, and he would be wildly successful. But when you have a six eight, two hundred and sixty five pound man, or whatever LeBron is, I mean he's an he's a product of today's game. So people think he might be a little soft. If you no, if you if you take a defensive end and put him in the nineties, that guy is gonna exactly. he is gonna exactly. demolish people. Exactly, man. I'm telling you, like, just human evolution, players and people are getting bigger, stronger, and faster. That's just what is happening. That's just what it is. And so if I look at it from that logical standpoint, these guys might be better athletes. I mean, look at Presley and and, and what he can do. I mean, I, I've heard stories of him dunking. So, like, I, I, like, I'm telling you right now, and I just want to, I'm just being truthfully honest with you guys and your fan base right now. The athletes in this day and age are probably better the one than the ones from the past, and that's just logically, you know, human evolution from that standpoint. But don't, don't turn your nose down at the guys from my day because those dudes were freaks. Well, I mean, there, there is a championship. You know, I mean, yeah. there, there, there is a trophy, there is a ring, uh, and imagine, imagine taking the top ten players, top ten to fifteen players from that team, and putting them on today's roster with the work ethic and the workouts and the training. I mean, I, the the team would probably win a national championship. And it's not me trying to put on orange colored glasses, but if you took that roster and put it on today's roster and took the best of the best. There'd be no. There'd they should be no have won a national championship 2011. Yeah, thoughts on that, Dion? No, yeah. yeah, we don't need to go down there. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's, <laughs> let's not bring that up. I do enough of that on 1170 over on the radio station yeah. over here in Tulsa. These guys can't get enough of me. Man. Yeah, I right. got actually got a th- I got three hours. I'll be on. Uh, I'll be on with Pop at two today. So uh, looking looking forward that, to that. Good night. I'll be I'll be tuned in. <laughs> well, and you know, like let's we'll we'll talk about what me and Pop are going to talk about. Let's uh, let's transition here before we let you go. Let's talk about this uh, current Oklahoma State roster coming off a twelve and two team. You have a lot of leadership coming back. Probably top three defensive line in the in the country, and I don't I don't think they're third. Uh, when you look at Jason Taylor on the back end, you look at these these younger corners, but there's a lot of experience, a lot of talent there. You return. Uh, the, uh, the reigning all first Big 12, I don't know how to say that, first team all Big 12 quarterback, I guess how you, is, is the proper way to say it. You return Spencer Sanders. You've got a young receiving core, but guys that, that show a ton of potential, a ton of promise, the offensive line. I mean, what, what are your initial thoughts on this team? I am very optimistic about this team going into this season. I mean, all the preseason polls are also optimistic, but let's be honest, they just see a returning senior quarterback and that's how they they, they propel your team up there. So that's why you're seeing the high rankings and, and everything. But also the, the, the statistics defensively last year, they look at that and they say, well, this team is not re- losing that much. They're returning a, a lot of talent. Let's put them up there. 
But with the addition of Derek Mason and what from from everything that I'm hearing from camp with him, the the tools that he has at his disposal to use and to implement this defense. Uh, offensively with Spencer coming back, we still have some questions on the outside and in the running back position, but from the words that I hear from camp and with the training staff, the offensive line shows a lot of promise. I'm very, very encouraged about what we're going to see this year. Just the interesting part is who's going to be the wide receiver that steps up and is the big guy, the big time threat in that room i know we lost tay martin last uh, last year and he was the he was the dude that you can count on to be the alpha the one that you throw to the one that you go to we got to figure out who that's going to be and then on the other side the linebackers we tackled last year that was if you could say one thing People, even when they got to the line of scrimmage, they got a five-yard gain. They got, they were when you, when when the Oklahoma State linebacker put his hands on them, he was going down. And we need to know if that's going to be the same case this year. Those two questions, once they get answered, I think will be just fine because I have confidence in the secondary and and what's going to come out of there. I've seen them throughout camp and I saw them throughout the spring. I was impressed. I was. I didn't have too much concern. And on top of that, when you have a defensive line that's as good as they are, you don't have to cover for that long. So so it's going to be encouraging there. But if you can find out who your big-time wide receiver is going to be, you can find out these linebackers and if they're going to tackle, and if you can figure out who's going to run that ball, as uh, what's the what's the mentality and what's the what's – the, uh, the motto for that running back room and how physical they're going to be, you will, will, will be straight. Yeah. Devin, Devin and Malcolm totaled for 219 tackles last year. Yeah. And then a lot of tackles 20, 25 tackles for loss. I, I mean, those, those guys were, well, and Coach, those guys were insane. Coach Mason's on record saying that you have to take the money ball approach to this. You can't replace Malcolm and Devin. You can't replace that senior leadership, but what you have to replace is the production. You have to figure out how to, how to piece together that production, whether it's two linebackers or bringing a safety down. And, and Dion, I was going to ask you, defensive scheme-wise, how does having the strength of your team being the defensive line, how does that help your your corners, your safeties? What can you do with them that helps them out? Do they press more? How does that work? I mean, it's literally it's like playing backyard football. You remember when you had the all-time QB and you go one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four, and then you you had you got to rush him because there was no there was no offensive line. And this in this situation, you he if you get to three Mississippi, you're lucky. And so if you're if you're a defensive back and you know that you're I'm I'm just as long as I disrupt the route. As long as I make them have to hold the ball just a second longer, I'm good. I'm Gucci. So, so if I'm if I'm a defensive back, I am playing tighter coverage. I do have that comfortability as long as I can be more physical with the wide receiver. As long as I disrupt disrupt his route and his timing, I'm good. And so that that's that's how a, a good defensive back turns into a great defensive back in the long run. Can obviously not in terms of production. I, I don't think he's going to have 96 tackles on the year. But can Thomas Harper have 
the type of jump up like Devin did last year. Thomas has played behind a lot of really good safeties. Devin played behind a lot of really good linebackers. Could we see that type of leap up in terms of, of success with Thomas Harper like we did with Devin? That's a good question. Uh, they, again, they both play two different positions. So that's not going to be something that you can kind of compare the two. But with another year in this defense, another year, you know, in this program, you should see improvements from Harper. Will they be similar to his brothers? I don't know about that. But the, you should see some improvement. And I'm, gonna, I'm looking forward to seeing what 13 can do back there. Yeah, and he's shown up a lot in the highlights that, that Cowboy Football puts out on Twitter or on the OSU Max. Um, Dion, have, have you gotten to watch any of that OSU Max? I've gotten to, you know, participate on social media from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to watch where where I can. It's sure. been a busy summer for me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> trying to t- trying to take advantage of of the of the summer where I can. But I'm pretty impressed with everything they have going on over there at the OSU at OSU Max, and I can't wait to see what else they cook up because it's been pretty fun to watch. I saw them put me up there a couple of times from from past videos and past highlights and stuff, and they brought up brought up some some good and some bad, but but they're doing some good stuff over there. Well, and one of the things from oh, one of the videos, I think it was the follow preseason camp. They they showed Gundy talking to the team, and it was the first day of camp, and he said, um, you know, it was into practice, and he said, before you guys know it, I'm going to be saying there's four days left before. Um, before the first game, we only have four practices left. At that time, you're going to go one of two ways. You're either going to be a team that is ready, and you're saying, to heck with the with the next four practices, let's play today, or you're going to be going, oh, man, we've got a lot to cram in. How how true is is that statement, and have you been on have you been on both sides of that? I've definitely been on both sides of that, but for, for a lot of teams, it's not always a whole – team aspect you're not you sometimes you look at the macro of things you're just like man well the offense looks ready but the defense doesn't the defense looks ready but the 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 offense doesn't special teams we're just not all there and so for 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 just to look at it at a macro level it's what individual aspect of the team is 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 not ready to go but if you got all units kind of firing and, and ironing, iron sharpening iron at the end, when that four days is left, you're just like, man, we got a team that's ready to ready to kick some butt out here. Uh, two things left uh, for me, anyway. When you you know you mentioned receiver, who's going to be that guy? I, in my mind, I think there's five there's five guys that I would look at as that a a receiver that that number one. I'm gonna you know. If Oklahoma State, I think Dang, it's safe five? to say you got that many. Five? Well, well, to it, it, it'd be it'd be five choices if I if I had to pick from because you've got a guy, Braden Johnson's coming back, uh, dealt with a dealt with a medical condition last year. He's back, uh, incredibly talented. He's incredibly hungry because when you, I mean, you look at the talent, you look at the speed. He's had one really good game in his career. It's a Texas Bowl against A and M. When you look at uh, when you look at a guy like Langston Anderson, Langston might be the most athletic and talented receiver on that roster. We have no idea what he looks like. He's he's been injured his whole time. But when you look at his highlights, you look at what he did in high school. You look at his transition. I, I think Langston has a really good chance. Uh, a, a kind of a, a buy low, sell high guy. The past couple of years, a guy like Rashad Owens. He's a big bodied receiver. 
Uh, he's fast on the outside. You look at what Jaden Bray, he jumped up and had a really big year last year. Um, and then you look at the Green Twins, right? You kind of can kind of combine those two. Those guys are, are really talented, uh, you know, high profile receivers out of high school. So when you look at when you when you look at those five guys, I, I think it's safe to say, okay, well, it's going to be one of them. You're you're going to get a Bolitnikov type uh, receiver. Maybe not win a Bolitnikov, but you know when the when the watch lists come out, we got the quarterfinal list and the semifinal list or whatever it is. Oklahoma State's most likely going to have a receiver that's you know going to put up a thousand yards. And I, if if you had to pick, you know, based on what you've seen and and what you've heard and going off of last year and progressions. Who you know in your mind? Who is that? You know who would be that number one spot? Number eighty-five, Bray. Yeah, and yeah, that and and, and I, I know I gave that answer rather quickly, but I've had a lot of time to, to think about it. I mean, Langston. A lot of these guys. The question is if they if they, if they can stay healthy. Mm-hmm. I mean, with Langston Anderson, I've been. Yeah, he looked. I saw a picture of him on their social media, and he looked really good. But he has not been able to stay healthy ever since he's got to Oklahoma State. Well, he showed Owens, up injured. Yeah, and so and Owens, he looks like a. I saw him this summer, and he out on the lake, and he looked like a, he was looking good and ready for a strong season. But Bray is the young guy who is the the one that stepped on the scene as a you know senior in high school playing in the spring game and was ready to go and showed up last year during the season as a true freshman. So if, I think if he can step into that, I'm the dude, like, like have the confidence to be like, Hey, get me the ball. I think we might be looking at a, the next monster on our hands, but, but for the rest of these guys, it's to, will you stay healthy, healthy and how do you contribute with, with the ball out of your hands? That's, that's something I'm going to be looking at. And will you, be a guy that you know steps up to the plate when the ball comes your way but Bray is the one that I'm looking at that needs to be that dog out there that needs to be the monster outside to counterbalance uh, Presley on the inside last year knowing that that was just his third year of football do you think you'd have been sitting here this year going yeah he'll be he'll be the guy I don't know if I could have said that I think I, I would be. I would have been curious if the physicality of the game uh, would would have scared, would have you know altered his play. But it seemed like it didn't last year. It seemed like it didn't mm-hmm. at all. And sometimes you know those basketball players. They're they're kind of in. Uh, this is the former defensive back in me. They're they're prima donnas. All right. <laughs> they, they, they they want they want the ball and they 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 they're a little confident divas about about themselves. And and basketball players are the same way. And so if, if, he, if, he can, if he can reach into that bag and, and show that confidence and that go up and get it and that alpha dog mentality, he, he's going he's gonna to be a force to be reckoned with this year in the Big 12. What's the wildest uh, atmosphere? What's the, what's the craziest stadium, loudest, however you want to attack that, uh, that, that you played in? Hands down, by far, no doubt about it. Anytime anybody asks me this question, it's the straight answer. 2011, Texas A&M, down 21 points, going into the locker room, wrecking crew, wrecking crew in my face, in my 
face. I could smell their hot liquored up breath in my face. <laughs> Wrecking crew. That place was literally shaking, guys. I can't explain this to people enough. The it I, my the bottom of my feet felt like I was in an earthquake. The place was literally shaking and vibrating. It was so loud. And we came back and beat them like we never even left. I'm telling you, man, that was the biggest game. And I'm telling you, Justin Gilbert stole that interception from me. I was about to be on national <laughs> TV, take that house, take the ball to the house. I was about to take it to the house and give us that victory. But Justin Gilbert stepped in front of that interception from Ryan Tannehill, and it was never meant to be. But craziest game, loudest game by far, Texas A&M 2011. So you went from arguably, well, not arguably, you just said the loudest environment you've ever been in to probably the quietest outside of Kansas. Exactly. Silence. Stunned. They were stunned. It was it was so joyous. <laughs> That's cool, man. That's cool. I like that. And then last thing, you know, we've we've seen it at various numbers, whether it's seven, seven and a half, eight. I I don't know if I've seen anything higher than eight, but I'll just I'll set it at eight. Over or under eight wins for Oklahoma State this year, in your opinion? Over, 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 over. I'm I'm somebody Bill Hastings asked me this uh, on Friday when I was at the Big Speed Fall Classic, and I told him I, I'm 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 looking at ten, I'm, I'm looking at ten. So I'm definitely if I'm if we're being super conservative, I'll I'll say nine. So it's definitely over eight though. Yeah, yeah, and and if you look at the schedule, you know you should you should go into that Baylor game three and zero. You know, and, and, and if you, for me, there are three games on this schedule that I circle that are going to be the toughest. You get Baylor in Waco, you have Kansas State in Manhattan, and then you go to OU. Now, is OU going to be a, a 10, 11, 12 win playoff type team this year? It's yet to be seen, but I listen into Venables. They only return, what, I think 40% of scholarship players. They had a lot of turnover. You got a new quarterback. I, I don't know if they're going to be that good. But it's in Norman, it's Bedlam, it doesn't matter. Either team can go in there with zero wins and they're going to put up a fight and it's going to be a dogfight till the end. So if you, even if you just chalk those three games up as losses, which I, 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 they're going to win at least one of those games, maybe more. But if you just chalk up those three games as losses, that's nine wins going into a bowl game. And you know the success that Oklahoma State has in bowl games. So I don't, I don't think 10 is, is out of the realm of possibility at all. Yeah, and I'm I'm right with you there. That see that our road schedule is going to be very tough yeah. this year. That I mean, we had to start the season off with with some some pretty good home games. I mean, starting the season three Saturdays in a row at, in Stillwater is, is is fun. But man, the that road schedule that we have this year is is going through a gauntlet, and hopefully these Cowboys are up for it. No question. Hey, Dion, I appreciate your time as always. And uh, we'll probably uh, we'll we'll try to we'll try to get you on during the season. We'll do a, like a, a mid-season review and and see where we're at. We'll we'll compare our notes. Well, anytime you guys need me, hit me up, and I'll be soon to to jump on the line and and hop on and talk with you guys. But appreciate y'all for having me, and uh, go Pokes! Absolutely, yeah, thank you very much, Dion.